It's about team, understanding that culture matters, that it's not just about the bottom line, it's not just about what success we can achieve, it really truly is about creating a culture. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. And I would imagine, if you're anything like us, that in an event like this, you find yourself about up to your eyeballs in information, principles, and concepts. And so uh, here's what we want to do. In this last, uh, it's really two sessions as your credits go, but really just this one final session. What Kyle and I want to do is rather than one of us teaching individually, we thought, you know what, let's let's vary it. And so the two of us are just going to sit on stools here for the next couple minutes and, and just we want to rise up high uh, in our organizations again. And really, we want to talk about, and you've got your sheet there, you're filling the blanks, you can follow along, five questions that we as leaders need to be asking in the next season of our, our, of our leadership. Five questions that we as leaders need to be asking in the next season of our leadership. And so here's what I would hope you would do. Our hope is that in the next three weeks, the next three months, you would sit down with these five questions Go to a coffee shop somewhere or go to your, you know, your office early in the morning uh, or sit out on your three-season room somewhere on your lanai uh, in the next 90 days with these five questions and really just ponder these thoughts because we think that if you'll dial in and really spend some time keying in on these five concepts, these five questions, it really can become guardrails to where you're going in your organization in the next 90 days to the next really two years. And so five questions uh, that you need to be asking in the next season of your leadership. Here's the first one. Number one, I think we as leaders have to ask the question, how committed are we to getting better, not just bigger? How committed are we to getting better, not just bigger? One of the biggest temptations that we face in leadership is always climbing, never arriving. It's this temptation of saying, we gotta get to the next mountain, we gotta go to the next place. And as soon as you achieve the goal, you, you instantly lift up your head and you go, all right, now we're going there. And it's this always climbing, never arriving. We, were, uh, we mentioned that we're pastors, and so uh, our church right now has two campuses, two locations. So essentially we're one church in two locations. And so we have our Fort Myers location, and then on Plantation Road next to the Twin Stadium, or just north of the Twin Stadium. And then two and a half years ago, we launched a second location out in Gateway. I know Gateway uh, Golf and Country Club, I met you, you're here, you're the manager's here today, and many of you know where that's at on Gateway Boulevard and so we uh, bought seven and a half acres of land built an entire 20,000 square foot building there and two and a half years ago moved in and started having church out there on the weekend as well and on the night before we do Saturday services and so I was speaking at the two Saturday services at our Plantation Road campus and the next morning Sunday we were launching our very first Sunday at our brand new Gateway location and after Saturday night, my wife and I were out uh, in the foyer just high-fiving people and saying hello and just greeting people. And this guy walks up to me, and he looks at me, and he goes, tomorrow's a big day, launching gate. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. And he looks at me, and he goes, where are we going next? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, and I knew what he meant. And I said, what, what do you mean? And he goes, like, as a church, where are we go Like, where are you going next? That's what he said. And I looked at him, and I went, well, I don't know where you're going, but I'm going home to take a nap. Like, like, 
What, like I knew what he meant. What he meant was, okay, tomorrow we open our second location. Where's the third? And here's the thing. There isn't one. There wasn't one back then. Two and a half years ago, it was just, you know what? We're just, we're just going to be as we are and, and just kind of be okay with assimilating. We're just going to be okay. It's like a stair steps. And if we can think of our organizations growing, that there are seasons where we're supposed to hit the, hit the green flag and hit the gas and go. And that's straight up. But then there are seasons where it needs to be a little flatter, where we can work through some of these principles, where we can help our teams assimilate. I've talked to more than one of you throughout the day today, and you said, we're closed right now for renovations. We're closed right now until August, or October when the seasonal people come back. That's great. Commit to getting better in this season. For us, we call it yellow flag racing. I go to the Indy 500 every year with my family, and so there, there's green flag racing where you hit the gas, and don't worry about gas mileage. Go as fast as you can, as far as you can, pass as many cars as you can. But then there are other seasons, and we'll tell our staff this, hey, this is a yellow flag season. What that means is it's not red flag. We're not stopping the race. We still gotta go around, but this is yellow flag. Don't pass any cars. Do the minimum, conserve fuel, come into the pit, change your tires, why? Because this is a yellow flag season where we can get better, not just bigger. Yeah, second question we think that would be great for you to mine out and talk about a little bit over the next several weeks or next several months is this, is where do your tactics not match your expectations? Where do your tactics not match your expectations? The screen didn't forward again, tech guys. Casey, I think we've got it. Oh, it's not Casey anymore. You're way stronger than Casey, by the way. Don't tell Casey, but man. Polo, I, bro. Casey, I would mess with. I would not mess with you. Where do you, number two, number two, where do your tactics not match your expectations? Where do they not match your expectations? So uh, think about it in regards to, uh, to two different toys for kids, I guess, would be a good way to, to talk about it. A balloon, if I had a balloon on stage and I took it and I blew up a balloon, just a regular size balloon, and I blew it up, it would probably take me five to seven seconds to blow up that balloon and I'd tie it off and if you had that with your kid, I have a two and a half year old little girl named Kaylee, she is uh, intense, but uh, she is, uh, she'd probably play with the balloon for, I don't know, two, three, five minutes, she'd hit it around, she'd chase it around, but eventually she'd get tired of it and she would go throw it behind the couch and the next morning we'd wake up and the balloon would have fizzled out and wouldn't even be, you know, you wouldn't even be able to play with it. Or you take another set of toys. Uh, maybe some of you grew up with Legos. I grew up with uh, Lincoln Logs. Any Lincoln Log people in the house? There you go. So Lincoln Logs, but Lego set for illustration. Like some people, you've, you've seen the big, the big Lego sets that you like walk in. You're like, man, how long did it take them to put that together? Like at least a week to put something like that together because you have to put it together piece by piece by piece by piece, that a balloon takes five seconds to blow up and you'll play with it for an hour, but a Lego set, when you put it together for five hours, 10 hours, two or three days, or maybe a whole week it took you to put that thing together, you'll play with that for the next year. That we had a, a staff member had two little boys and they would build these huge Lego sets and they would play with it and I, I would ask like, man, how long ago did you put that together? And he's like, oh, eight, nine, 10 months ago. They still love playing with it. That's because of the time and effort that went into building that Lego set. And I believe most of us are probably trying to build a Lego set with balloon tactics. That when it comes to our expectations at our club, we would prefer to blow up the balloon and try some type of tactic, maybe a marketing tactic or a, something that's gonna bring more people, more members into our club. And we wanna just blow, 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 and then balloon and play instead of actually looking on and going, this might take a full year. This might take 16 months to put piece by piece 
by piece together. But if you'll do that, you'll have something you can play with long term. So quick question is simply this. Uh, do you need to change your expectations in some areas of your club? Do you need to change some of your strategies in the areas of your club? Which dial do you need to push up in this season to reach the sunset that you see in your mind? You can't push every dial on a soundboard up at one time. You can only push two or three up at a time. Where are your tactics not meeting your expectations? So the first question, number one, how committed are we to getting better, not just bigger? Question number two that we've got to be asking in the next 90 days, where do our tactics not match our expectations? We're using balloon tactics, but expecting Lego results, and it's just not going to work that way. Question number three, what strategy are you using to motivate your team? What strategy are you using to motivate your team? And uh, there are three strategies. You have three fill in the blanks there. There are three ways that we can motivate our team. Number one is, is uh, love. Number two is hope. And number three is fear. Number one, I think we have a slide for this. I want you to see the picture of this, okay? Because uh, this is important. Uh, no, it's not in there. There it is, yes, we have it. Okay, so here's the deal. There are three motivations, motivating drivers of the employees, our team members, our departments, three ways that we can motivate our team, love, hope, and fear. And here's the deal. As leaders, we all want our team members to be motivated by love, don't we? That they love our, our vision, that they love our heart for the company, they love our products and our services, they love our members, and they love us. Right, like that's at the heart. At the end of the day, every one of us as leaders hope against hope that our teams will actually love it. That they get out of bed in the morning, clicking their heels together, going, "I love this place." Okay, that's the best case scenario. And when people are motivated by love, you can see there on the left side, the effectiveness of our team is humongous. Right there, that's best case scenario. But here's what I want us to understand: getting our team members to love as their motivation for why they come to work every day takes a whole lot of time. We can't shortcut love. Some of us are trying to use balloon tactics to get Lego kind of love as a motivator for our team. But see, here's the thing. There's no shortcut to this. The way to get our team members to love their job and to care about what we're doing and to be bought in wholeheartedly to the vision, here's how. We have to first create an environment, and Kyle talked about this, where they actually believe we believe in them. This is worth reiterating. That's why we're bringing this up again, because if we're gonna sit down with five questions that we need to be focusing on in the next 90 to 180 days, we've gotta ask this question of ourselves, leaders. How well are we doing at creating an environment, a culture in our club, where our team members, our employees, actually believe that we love and care about them. Think about it. Isn't the favorite boss that you had in your past, like think about your favorite boss for a second. Isn't it true that our favorite boss was always the person who Kyle mentioned in the last session, believed and cared about and had our best interest in mind, not just the bottom line. Well, that's how we move our team members to having love as a motivation. So the question is, in the meantime, if, if we can't swing that pendulum, let's say maybe some of you took over a club in the last six months, 12 months. I think I met somebody that has only been at their club for two months right now, that they've taken the manager's job for two months. Maybe you've walked into a place that was motivated by fear, that the last manager that was there, the last chef that was there, the last food and beverage guy that was there, led the team by fear, that it was a lot of shouting, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of, if you don't get this done, you will get fired. 
Uh, maybe you're walking into a situation where fear was the motivating factor. So it's hard to look on at that and go, well, how do I swing it from fear all the way up to love in a short amount of time? And the truth is you can't swing it that quickly. So what do you do in the meantime while you don't want to have your employees think that you're leading by fear, but you probably can't get it to love that quick? You have to aim at hope and purpose. Right. You have to aim at hope and purpose that if we can't go straight to love, well, the, the middle section of our diagram there is hope. And when you lead by hope, you give people a purpose. So two things that can do that for your teams. How do you, how do you move it towards motivating people by hope? Two things love for you to write down. Number one, it's a clear vision gives hope. We've said this a lot today, and I know it feels like we're beating you know, the same horse here, but a clear vision gives people hope. A clear vision gives people clarity. Clarity gives people confidence. And when you have a clear vision, it brings hope. Are you going to tell the story about uh, the clothing store? Is that in here? The place in the mall? No. There's a, no. <laughs> there's a, but I can't. No, so, there's, so there's a place in the, the Edison Mall in Fort Myers, Florida, which I don't go to a ton, but I do go every once in a while. There's a store in the Edison Mall, and there is, it, it's, it's a below, um, it's a very below average clothing store. We'll just call it that. Like it is, it's like $9, $10 for everything, but if you want to look like you dress, if you want to look like you're from New York City and live in Southwest Florida, that's kind of the place the 19 and 20 year old shop. <laughs> Won't give away the name, but if you want to, we live in Southwest Florida, but if you want to wear jeans with holes in them and big baggy t-shirts and cowboy hats and look like you're from a big city, that's like the place you shop in Fort Myers. So, so anyway, so it's, it's, it's not, the, not the most appealing place. It's not, not a place where a lot of people come and shop from Southwest Florida, but if you go in there, uh, every time you go in there, their employees are unbelievable. Like they're just so engaged, they talk to you, they ask you if they can help you. I've even asked before, do you guys get commission if we, if we buy them? They're like, no, we just, you know, just want to help you out. And I'm like, wow, that's great, thanks. Um, not that I go shop there, by the way. I, <laughs> let's not, I mean, I was shopping for my, my buddy um, for his birthday, and, uh, and so. <laughs> and I was not the buddy, by the way. So, so in there, and they, they, you check out, and they're so excited. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, why are these guys so engaged at this? And I, and I, I mean this seriously, it's just a below average t-shirt jean store like it's just homely a little bit so and and uh, we got up to the cash register and i went to check out and it was 19 dollars and 22 cents and the guy looked at me and said man that's awesome thanks for shopping with us today would you like to round that up 78 cents and make it 20 even and donate 78 cents to our schools that we're building in africa with our organization that we have as a company man let me tell you about the kids that are being reached there we had over 2,000 kids just last month get tuition in schools because of the rounded up change from our stores around the country and he's just casting vision like crazy and i'm like sure man round it up to 20 bucks it's 78 cents awesome and i walked out of the store and i thought to myself because we were doing this talk a month later at advance one day i thought to myself how does a guy like that working at a store like that be so motivated about life and it was that he actually he came to work every day with a clear vision not to just sell clothes but with a greater vision and purpose of that organization and I thought to myself that's hope and purpose that it's yep. not about what you're selling or where you're at or what you're doing do they have a clear vision that's greater than the day-to-day -day of what they do at your club so what tactic or strategy are we using to motivate our team is it love which is the best one or is it hope and purpose there in the middle? Or the worst one, the, the least favorite, the least preferred is fear. Let me take a second and talk about fear because unfortunately in our world today, many managers in the hecticness and stressfulness and busyness of leading an organization result to fear. But here's the problem with fear. Fear actually works against love. It does the opposite of pushing people. It is the least effective motivator is fear because fear chases away love here's the deal no one will ever love something that they're scared of 
Like think about a dog that's been beat. A dog that's been beat may be loyal, may stick around because you feed it, but it will never love you. And the same is true with our employees, that if we're using fear tactics and strategies as a motivator, if you guys don't, you're all fired, okay? We can laugh about that, we can joke about that, but the truth is, fear can produce loyalty in the short term, but only love can produce the culture we want in the long term. Let me say that again, that's a great statement. Fear can produce loyalty in the short term, but only love can produce the culture we want long term. So here's the question. Third question you got to be wrestling down. What strategy am I using to motivate my team? And what can I do to keep pushing that strategy toward love? Well, the answer to that is aim at hope and purpose. Question number four. We're talking about four questions that we need to be asking in the next 90 to 120 days to position guardrails around our leadership to take our organizations to the next level. Here's the fourth one. Number four, you can write it down. What are we doing with the permission that we've been given? What are we doing with the permission that we have been given? Every single person who interacts with our brand, with our company, with our, with our club, every single person is giving us a level, a measure of permission. Let me throw this up, and I think it's there in your notes, okay, but uh, this is a, what we call our rings of permission. See if I can get the screen to change. It is just not gonna play nice this afternoon, is it? Awesome, okay, great, because it changed down here. It's enough. That's okay, but it's in your notes. So everybody look down at your notes, okay? Let me talk through these rings of permission. The first is strangers. Did you know strangers give us a level of permission. You know what level they give us permission? To interrupt them, to put up billboards, to place ads on TV and radio, to tweet out to them. We have been given permission from strangers to interrupt them. But watch this. With every ring that our, uh, with the people interact with our brand, they move in, suddenly their permission is going up. So strangers have an initial contact. So they walk into our store, they walk into our club, they see our ad, they call a number, they email us, they go to our website, and strangers move to that initial contact ring. Then that initial contact ring, they move into engagement with our product, right? They reach out, they pick it up, they play around the golf, they purchase a hat, they purchase a t-shirt, they, they send us an email. There's that that initial contact, engagement with the product, and then they purchase something. And at each one of these rings of permission, there's greater permission being granted. When they purchase something, when they, they repeat a purpose, they start coming in monthly, they start booking a tea time weekly, and at each one of these rings, at every level, they're giving us greater permission to add value to them. Not sell them something, not coerce them, not convince them. This is where most leaders, where we get it wrong. We think that the further in they go, the more opportunity and permission we've been granted to sell them something. But if you and I, like we talked about in our previous session at the beginning of the afternoon, if you and I can start to shift our mindset to say, how do we not create a transaction but the further someone comes in, all the way to that membership level, how do we add value to them? How do we add value to them? And the further in we go, the more value we should be adding. So I am, uh, I am a subscriber and have been for about nine years now to a um, television company, who shall, I will try as hard as I can to remain nameless of what this provider is for me. And I saw 
uh, advertised on TV that for new subscribers to said television provider, you get NFL Sunday ticket for free. And so if, if you, I, I'm gonna speak indirectly about TV here for a second, okay? Is that okay, Kyle, if I speak indirectly, uh, in, indirect TV about, TV, about TV? That's what I'm gonna do. So I, so I realized, so I called him, and I'm like, hey, saw the ad on TV. Saw that new subscribers get, you know, NFL Sunday ticket this fall, and I, I said to him, hey, I, I've been around for like nine years. What do I get? Because like, if, do you want me to like sign up again? Like what do I? And they're like, no, sir, that's just a marketing promotion. And again, listen, I I teach marketing, okay? So I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to hook the new guy, right? But here's what I so gently told them. I said over the phone, I said, here, hey guys, here's the deal. I've been paying my bill for however much it costs, right? One hundred fifty dollars, two hundred dollars a month, whatever it is, faithfully for nine years. Add up how much that is. And who do I need to talk to after nine years of faithful, loyal subscription and payment to you? After what, $200, $2,400 a year times nine years is somewhere in the realm of 20 grand. And you can't, no one, no one in the company can figure out a way to give me 50 bucks off an NFL Sunday ticket this fall? No, sorry, that's just for, for new subscribers. So the people on the outer ring get a, in my opinion, I think that's backwards. And again, I get the marketing, right, right, I get the, yeah, I get the promotional side, okay? D don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, what are you doing with the level of permission you've been given? Because at every ring, every level, they are, our, our customers, our clients, our members are giving us permission to add value to them. So here's, here's homework for you, right? Couple of questions. What value are we adding at each particular ring? Question one. And question two, what do we need to do to move people from whatever ring they're on to the next ring in? Because at the end of the day, club managers, think about it. Are there any two questions as important as those? If we can figure out how we add value to their particular ring and how we get them to keep moving down to the next ring, we win. That is how we get to the next level. That is how we grow our bottom line. That is how we grow and make members more happy. And if you know someone at DirecTV, let me know because I'd love to talk to them about all that. I have thoughts, they don't call, they don't call. Yeah, that's right. That's what my mom and dad do. They totally do that. They call him. They're like, we're going to cancel. Okay, Mr. Keller, you can have whatever you want. I haven't tried that yet. So, sorry. I, that was a rant, but that's for free because clearly none of you work in the direct TV industry. You work in the golf country club industry, which what is awesome. What are you doing with the permission you've been given? You, you good? I'm done. You're good. Okay. <laughs> Number five. Number five as we close out this session. Five questions to ask yourself um, over the next several weeks, several months. Uh, for you and your organization. Number five, where are you hoping for viral and missing out on the one? Where are you hoping for viral? It's not even there anymore. It's over here. Yeah, be careful though. It's the big guy. So where are you hoping for viral and missing out on the one? What do I mean by that? When it comes to some of your marketing strategies, when it comes to some of your events, 
What are the strategies that you're using hoping something goes viral? Like we work with churches all across the country and one of the, one of the myths in church planting world is that if you will spend $15,000, $10,000 on a big postcard, send it in the mail to 25,000 residents within two miles of where your church is going to be, that'll grow your church. And we have for years taught against that, that you are trying to do, you are interrupting people. I don't, I don't know about you, but does anybody even look at the big postcard in the mail much anymore? Like I just take so-and-so's plumbing and I throw it away without even looking to see what the deal is on it. So they, they, but they teach this, no, just send these big postcards and it'll, it'll grow your church. And there's, there's some power to that if you're a new church, letting people know that you're there. But the truth is you're interrupting them, that you're, you're sending this big thing in the mail and there's not a great return on it. So people are trying to go viral instead of actually just concentrating on the one, that word of mouth is still the best marketing that's out there. Viral is one person telling 10 and hoping they'll tell 10 and hoping they'll tell 10. But how many, how many viral sensations are there out there right now? A few that happened on YouTube and a few, that, few companies that exploded over the years. But the truth is most companies, most clubs, most organizations grow by good word of the mouth marketing one person telling five and those five people telling three and sure it tapers off but what are you doing to add value to the one person that walks in that's a new customer every single day instead of using tactics or strategies hoping that something's going to go viral we have seen over the years that your best success is to add value to one family at a time one member at a time one gentleman at a time one lady at a time coming into your club and you'll look up and the numbers will have grown instead of spending tons of money on a tactic or marketing strategy that costs 20 grand, hoping that it catches on fire. So where are you hoping for viral and missing out on the one? So five questions that all of us need to be asking in the next season to be ready for where we're going. Number one, how committed are you to getting better, not just bigger? Number two, where do your tactics not match your expectations? Number three, what strategy are we using to motivate our team right now? Number four, what are we doing with the permission we've been given? And number five, where are we hoping for viral and actually missing out on the individual? Five questions that prepare us for the next season of our leadership with our organizations. Here's what I wanna do. We're gonna just go instantly straight into the final session of the day, which I'm gonna teach by myself. And so Kyle, let me just say thank you. Uh, hasn't he done a phenomenal job? I so appreciate the opportunity to lead with him. Thank you, Kyle. It's phenomenal. So here's, here's what I want to do before uh, Beth comes back and gives us our test and I and you take it together apparently. Here's what I want to do. The final session, uh, again, we have just been, you know, giving it to you from a fire hose today. And so in this final session, uh, here's what I want to do. I don't want to give you necessarily any more content, uh, anything that that's, we haven't said already. What I want to do, though, is I want to speak to you personally. Hopefully, over the course of this day, you've gotten to know us. You've gotten to hear our story a little bit more. Hopefully, we've been able to add value to you. And so I want to simply talk to you as one leader to another, as a leader of two organizations that one uh, local and regional impact in Southwest Florida with Next Level Church, and then a, the other with Next Level Solutions and Advance and all that we're doing with leadership across the country. I've learned a few things. I'm 41 years old. I just turned 41 last week. And so over the last year, as I've sort of entered my 40s, my assistant, Sherry, is, was quick to point out on my birthday this year, she said, now you're not just 40, now you're in your 40s. And I'm like, thanks, I appreciate that. But as someone who's been doing this leadership thing for over two decades now, 
I've been spending a lot of time over the last year, in my 40th year, reflecting on what I've learned in the first two decades of my leadership journey. And so to close out our day, here's what I want to do. I don't want to teach one more session or concept. Instead, I just want to sit on the stool for the next few minutes, and I want to share my heart with you about th six things that I've learned in my first two decades of leading. And here's what I think, whether you're a boss, an employee, whether you're a general manager or an assistant manager, whether you're a student or a team member, I think and hope that these things are going to help every single one of you on your journey for the next year as well. So six things I've learned in my first two decades of leading. Here's the first one. Number one, in my first 20 years of leading, I've learned that it always takes longer than you think it will or should. If I've learned anything over these last or first 20 years of leading, I, I've learned that it always takes longer, doesn't it, leaders? So many of you are way further along in your leadership journey than I am even. And here's, here's how I framed this up. If I could go back and have dinner with my 20-year-old self, who's just starting out in leadership, who's just moving along on my career journey, if I could have, have dinner with my 20-year-old self and tell myself one thing, just one thing. If I could have dinner, sit across from that guy who had way less silver hair than this guy on the stage today does. The one thing I would tell my 20-year-old self is, Matt, it's going to happen. The dream's going to come true. You're going to reach the goals. It's going to come to pass. It's just going to take longer than you think. I think in my 20s and even my 30s to some degree, I think I was so impatient. But here's the thing, it's gonna happen. And so leaders, maybe young leaders in the room today, I think I would say to you, and the wisdom of perhaps some of us who are further along in the journey to many of you as young leaders would be, settle in, relax, let the ball come to you. Guess what? It's gonna happen. You're gonna become what you dream of becoming. It's going to happen. Relax and enjoy the ride. It's gonna happen. In reflecting over my first two decades of my leadership journey, the second thing that I think I would share with you this afternoon is that the goal line is a moving target. I've learned that the goal line in leadership is a moving target. And again, I'm sure so many of you have experienced this. It was a, a long, long time ago now that we were doing a church at the high school. We were having two services and our church was averaging probably six or 700 people in attendance. And uh, it was Easter Sunday. And so Easter is kind of the Super Bowl for church. If you don't know that, like everybody who never comes to church, somehow it's like if you're a red-blooded American, you go to church on Easter, which is awesome. And so in the church world, that's kind of a really fun day for us. It, it is the Super Bowl, and it's amazing, and we don't put too much stock in it, but it's, it's something. And so I remember on that Easter Sunday, our church was probably four or five years old, we had a 1,000 and 31 people. It was the first time we had had over a thousand people in church, which in church world is a big deal. About 98% of churches are less than 100 in attendance. And so that was the first time. And I remember coming in on Monday morning and Mike, who was one of our team members back then, came in and we had Starbucks and we're exhausted, and, but we're excited. And he sits down across the desk from me. I'm like, man, think of it. A thousand people, like a thousand and thirty-one. Man, and like for five minutes, we're just high-fiving and just verbally just, woo, yeah, this is awesome, this is awesome. And then the conversation kind of lulled. Anybody ever 
know that moment? And it got quiet for a second. And I looked at him and I go, I wonder what 1500 feels like. Why? Because it's a moving target, isn't it? And here's the thing. When we're doing something that's worthwhile, when we're in an industry like hospitality where we're serving people and not just in it for the bottom line, it, it ought to be. It should be. But as leaders, if I could go back and have dinner with my 20-year-old self, I would say, Matt, hang on, hang on, listen, there's, it's always going to be a moving target. And every time you hit a goal, you need to stop. You need to celebrate. In the words of the great philosopher of our time, Miley Cyrus, there's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm going to have to lose, Miley says. Ain't about how fast I get there. Ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. It's the climb. <laughs> well, is it possible that maybe in just this one thing, Miley's got something right? <laughs> if I could have tell you anything, I would tell you in the first two decades of my leadership journey that I've, I've learned that it's always going to be a moving target. So here's what I think that means. Practically, here's what it means. Uh, two thoughts. One, you got to take time to celebrate. How well are you doing? Kyle talked about it earlier today. It's celebrating with your team. Celebrate. And number two, you got to rest. Kyle talked about that as well. You got to rest. You know why? Because this is a marathon, not a sprint. The leadership journey is a marathon, not a sprint. Number three, what have I learned in my first two decades of leading? Number three, I've learned that leading myself will always be the hardest person that I have to lead. I've learned that leading myself will always be the hardest person I have to, be, to lead. We've spent a lot of time today talking about how we lead our teams and how we spot unhealth on our teams and how we lead better and pick up ducks and find leaders. But, but here's, here's the deal. If I'm gonna last for the long haul, then I've got to be committed to my growth and my health. And leaders, here's what I would say. I've learned in my first two decades of leadership that the pace of the work is a huge threat to our growth and development. In other words, the more successful you come, you become, the, the better you get at it, the more tempting it's gonna be to neglect yourself. And maybe, just maybe, let me pause for a second. Maybe, just maybe, some of us have been in here and you've been burning the candle at both ends. Maybe some of you, you're listening to me right now and if I've gained credibility to speak into your life in any way, shape, or form this afternoon in just some small way, some of you, you've been neglecting your health. Maybe some of us, we've been neglecting our physical body and we've put on weight in the last season. Maybe some of us, this afternoon, you've been neglecting your family. Can I just encourage you as a leader who's two decades into this thing? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Don't neglect you. You know why? Because if you're the leader of your organization, then you are the most important person to that organization. We need you. We need you at your best. We need you healthy. We need your family strong. Why? Because what does it profit us? If we climb the top to the top of the corporate ladder and reach all of our dreams professionally, but personally lose what is perhaps most important to us, ultimately, our wife, our husband, our kids, our grandkids. So maybe, just maybe, 
One of the reasons you're here this afternoon and I've been here all day is for me to challenge you and tell you, go home. Making one or two small tweaks to your calendar so you can be more available to your family in this season is way more important than making one or two more things get done on your to-do list tomorrow. Look them in the eye. Turn off the technology, the phone and the TV and whatever. And have a conversation. It's worth it. If I've learned anything in my first two decades of leadership, number four, I've learned that the people you surround yourself with will affect your success more than anything else. What have I learned in the first two decades of leading? I've learned that the people that we surround ourselves with will affect our success more than anything else. And we've talked a lot about this today. And so I'm not going to re-beat that drum, except to say this, leaders, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Because who you become, the culture you create, will depend on who you surround yourself with. Because two things are true concerning our team. The first is, your team will eventually end up looking like you. And the second truth is, you will eventually look like your team. One of the phrases, Kyle, I don't think mentioned this. He mentioned it last night at dinner. That's where I was thinking. The, the average age of, of our staff, we have about almost 50 people on staff now and uh, in between our organizations, and the average age of them is easily under 30 years of age. It's probably more like 28. We probably, over, probably over half of our team are under the age of 28. So we've got all these young people and with their cool ripped jeans and their $9 t-shirts apparently. <laughs> and here's the thing. From time to time in our organization, these young people will introduce new phrases, right? Anybody else have this problem? So I was, I was at this party and uh, we had just hired this new um, accounting girl for our accounting department and just a sharp, sharp girl her name's Christian. And her husband is an awesome photographer, his name's Ralphie. And so Ralphie takes a lot of pictures in our organization the whole day, like we just love Ralphie. And, uh, and so I was at this, this party and Ralphie was there. And he goes, I'm like, yeah, man, your wife's working for us. How's that working out? You know, and he's like, oh, it's great. It's great. Except, can I just tell you that she never used to say the word legit until she started working for you. Because everybody at Next Level says the word legit all the time. Well, I hadn't even thought about it. Well, it's true. And suddenly I realized all these young 20-somethings run around all day going, oh, that's totally legit, dude. That's legit. Oh, that's legit. That's legit. That's legit. Well, I didn't even realize it until he pointed out. You know, you know why? He goes, I, I told my wife the other day, he goes, I can tell you're working at Next Level Church because you say everything's legit now. Why? Because we inevitably rub off on each other. So choose wisely, leaders, because the people we surround ourselves with will affect our success more than, and apparently our vocabulary, more than anything else. Number five, what have I learned? In my first two decades of this leadership journey, I've learned, number five, that you will have to endure more pain than you think you will. As leaders, we were, are gonna have to endure more pain than we think we will. Over the last year or two, I have found myself saying to my wife, Sarah, who works full-time in our organization as, as the COO and is just a brilliant, brilliantly gifted leader in her own right. And over the last couple of years, now 14 years into leading Next Level Church, Sarah and I have found ourselves saying to each other quite frequently, people have no idea how hard this is. 
people don't realize how painful what we've had to go through is in order to get here. And we say those things to each other, not in a kind of a pity, woe is us way. No, 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 no. We say that in a matter of fact way. And leaders, I have a feeling I'm in a, in a room full of people who know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when we start talking about pointing out unhealth and firing people and too hard conversations, this stuff is hard. It's hard. But in my first two decades of leading, I've learned number six, that it's worth it. It's worth it. Leadership is not for the faint of heart. But I've learned that for every hurt, pain, for every difficult situation, for every risk that I have taken, for every struggle that you and I have had to endure in our leadership journey, I have learned that it is worth it. And so leaders, I just want to conclude our time together today by telling you thank you. Thank you for leading. Thank you for doing the hard thing. As a leader myself, I understand that there are decisions you make every day. There are sleepless nights that you endure frequently. Some of you, it was last night. I know it was for me. There are things that you say, things that you do, sacrifices that you make, difficult decisions that you just panic and pour over and just are just eating you up on the inside that none of your team see. And so could I just say to you as we begin to conclude our time together today, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making hard decisions. Thank you for doing what you do day in and day out when no one notices and no one's grateful and nobody cares and all you hear are the board, board sending you mean emails. Thank you. Thanks for enduring the pain. Because see, because you do, leaders, jobs are created. Because you do, livelihoods are provided for. Because you do, members are well served. And so here's what I know, though I don't know each of you and I don't know your specific situation, I know that because you do what you do, your city is better. People want to know how we help America regain its strength and vigor. I believe we do that one leader at a time, staying encouraged recognizing that what you and I do on a daily basis matters to our organization, to our members, to our team, to our city, and to our nation. And so on behalf of so many leaders who will probably never say it to your face, I, standing before you face to face, want to say to you, thank you. You truly are making a difference. That's what I've learned in my first two decades of leading. It has truly been our joy to be with you today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time.